Have you ever noticed how the feeling of helplessness and hopelessness tend to go hand in hand? Have you noticed that? Uh, it, it, it's just an overwhelming experience to feel helpless, but if you do, you often jump very quickly to hopelessness, especially if you don't have a relationship with God on some level, right? Facebook has been a gift that's allowed us to maybe stay connected with friends and family in ways that we haven't been able to before. And I've got a set of friends of mine that moved to the Southwest, moved to the Arizona, Phoenix area. And uh, they have a young daughter who's about five years of age. She's got big brown, black curly hair with big brown eyes, kind of olive brown skin and a, a smile that lights up three-fourths of Southwest America. I mean, she's just a gorgeous kid who's just great to be around. And on Facebook, they started posting some pictures of her, which is not uncommon, except this last week or a week and a half ago or so, their daughter fell. She went on a school trip, and she fell and she hit her head. And so all of a sudden, we begin to see pictures of this little girl in a hospital bed, unresponsive. Helplessness, hopelessness, even through a simple picture, begins to be transmitted across the internet, you know? You start to think about the anxiety and the concern that's going on in that mother's heart. And, you know, they're, they're a great young couple. They have a great faith. And, you know, you, the testimony of their faith that God could and God can was overwhelming in their texts. But what was even more overwhelming in their, in their statements and their posts was not that God can or God could, but even if God didn't, we trust God. And that's huge. That, 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 that's really huge, isn't it? I mean, if you're really honest, when we think about the scenarios we go through, to see one of our loved ones struggle or hurt, it, it, it can be captivating. It can be consuming. A couple of days ago, uh, their daughter woke up. They were able to, uh, to remove the breathing tube, and her mom was right next to her, and, and, and you know what she said? Mommy, I fell. It's the last thing she remembered. And mom just sat there, and there was a picture of her and her mom just holding hands, praying together. And it was just, it was just encouraging, just inspiring to see somebody with a faith that knowing God can and God could, but no matter what, they believed in God. To have that kind of faith. Because can we be transparent for a moment? Many of us function from a if Jesus instead of a faith in Jesus. You know what I'm saying? And so what would it look like if we began to live every moment of our lives with a faith in Jesus, not a faith if Jesus did something in our lives? What would that look like? Well, we're gonna turn to Mark chapter nine, so if you go ahead and jump there, we'll get in there in just a moment. But uh, we've been in this series called The Gospel of Mark, and we've talked about how the Gospel of Mark is a, an account, a conversation of one person's perspective of the journey walking along with Jesus. We talked about how when you open up the New Testament, the first four books of the New Testament, you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew comes from a perspective that is trying to present Jesus as king, a, a Jewish perspective for those to be able to hear who he is as those who have foretold of the coming Messiah. Uh, Luke is one that gets right down to some nitty-gritty where it begins to talk about Jesus as Savior, Messiah. And so many details are played out, so you begin to see the saving work of Jesus play out in his life, walking in real time in real relationships amongst people. John is one that really points to Jesus himself being God, Jesus being deity, God in flesh. 
And so each author writes from a different perspective, but what we've said about Mark is this, is that Jesus is the suffering servant when we talk about Mark. That Mark is describing God in flesh, living in relationship, but as he's serving, as he's teaching, and he's caring, all of these things are leading up to the culmination of Jesus' life suffering, giving his life, his death on the cross. It's the one being foretold of in the book of Isaiah that he would be the one. His, by his wounds, we would be healed. And so as Mark is laying this out, he's helping us understand that this is, in fact, what we have been longing for, waiting for, the suffering Savior, the one who would give us new life through his death, his burial, his resurrection. And we talked about Mark almost laying out simply an apologetic. It's, it's an evidence piece saying, this is what I experienced, this is what I saw, this is what I understand. And so he said, we think Mark's kind of trying to raise two questions as we look at this, as we look at this discussion. The first one is this, is Jesus worth following? And the second, if so, will you? Meaning as you're reading through the pages of the, of the gospel of Mark, as you're hearing the good news about how God pours himself out, if these are in fact true, if it if it pierces your heart, are you one that would follow, that would surrender your life to the way of Jesus? That's what Mark's trying to make happen. Knowing that sometimes many of us have, have looked at Scripture from a lot of different angles, we begin to kind of just surmise what's, what's going on in the book itself. And we use this word, euthos. It's a Greek word that's actually played out uh, through the book of Mark. And it, while it's translated different ways, 41 different times, specifically we saw 14 specific times that the word immediately is used in the New International Version. So we thought, well, let's just follow the breadcrumbs and see where they go. And what's laid out in front of us is this urgency, this immediate, immediacy of how Jesus responded to, how, to people, how people responded to Jesus, how lives were transformed. Immediately, urgency, this great moment of transformation happening in a series of events, circumstances, and relationships. And it's really been very encouraging to us. And we started with the book of Mark kind of leaning in, seeing where Jesus was taking it. We're now heading towards the back end of Mark, and now are there these statements of faith, and will we respond, and what does our life look like when we surrender back to Jesus? And you can almost, you can almost feel the momentum gaining as we're heading towards the end of the book, which of course will end in the death, the burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and our response to that. So today, there's three things immediately that we're actually going to get to see the first immediately is a, a, demon, a demon possesses a boy to cause a seizure in the presence of Jesus. And we'll also see immediately a, a father expresses his belief and his need for a greater faith. Immediately we'll see even the faith of a blind man and that results in him receiving his sight. So if you've got your Bibles, let me encourage you to go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 9. But as we begin to move towards this conversation... We need to begin to realize that the stories we're going to look at really leverage not only towards healing, but a, a conversation of faith and how that plays out when someone fully places their faith into Jesus. Maybe we could say it best this way. When talking about a faith that can heal, we need to understand this. A faith that heals is just, a, just as much about the faith as it is the healing. You hear what I'm saying? It's, a much, it's as much about our placing our faith into Jesus as it is about the work that Jesus can do in that moment. 
So Mark chapter 9 begins to unpack a, a series of events. We have this moment called the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration, where literally it's revealed in front of the, the apostles, these disciples, where Jesus stands in the place of the prophets, that he is the one that they have been looking for, and they have this, this miraculous moment that they're exposed to where they're revealed to Jesus being God and understanding where he is placed in the history and understanding of their culture and in their lives. And they begin to move out of this into relationship of what's going on with this Jesus on parade, as we've said, right? Jesus is going through communities and towns. Desperate people with desperate scenarios are coming towards Jesus. Jesus is responding to each of those scenarios as he best can. But in every scenario, there seems to be somebody who's trying to just tear a little bit at the moment, trying to erode a little bit about what Jesus is about. And once again, we find tension. We find a group of people that are caught up in an argument and Jesus rolls up on it. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 9, starting in about verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law were arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit who has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked, <laughs> I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So let's unpack this for a moment. Here's what's happening. A desperate man has a son who is possessed by a spirit. He brings him before the people that he thinks would help him, right? Let's go, to the, let's go to the followers of Jesus. Let's see what might happen. And when he does, the disciples go to make this miraculous healing and they, they fail. And an argument breaks out. Isn't it interesting? Anytime failure shows up, arguments, blaming, and conflict show up, no matter the scenario, isn't it? I mean, you get it. Emotions are high. Expectations are huge. People are wanting to see incredible transformation. But this tension breaks out and it creates a conflict in the middle of it. But what's happening? You've got disciples here who are actually trying to do the work of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus had been the one that had told them that they would have the ability to do these kind of things. And yet, in the midst of this conflict, they're, they may be focusing a little bit more on themselves and what's going to happen in the next few moments rather than surrendering themselves before God to let Jesus change them. It's kind of like this. Maybe you remember playing basketball as a kid and uh, the first time you were able to get the net. Anybody remember that, right? You'd worked and worked and worked and you ran and you jumped and whew, you got the bottom of the net and uh, somewhere about lunch, you're hanging out with your friends and they begin to talk about, you know, I got three up, I got four, I, I can start to get the rim and, and, and somewhere, you didn't mean to say it, but you kind of just mentioned you thought you could dunk, right? You know? And so the, the guys just kind of say, here's the ball, all right? And you go out and with all your best energy, you, you show, uh, you know, a power layup of seven inches, right? And you don't get anything, right? It's that kind of scenario. You know, the disciples have kind of taken the moment in for themselves instead of being the servants of God that they are. And in a moment of insecurity and a, a moment of selfishness, they're really not surrendered before God. They're not even praying and leaning their hearts back towards God. And you know what happens? Nothing. They fail. 
And you got to wonder if people were saying, see, I, I knew these, these guys were fake. I knew this was false. There's no way that this could happen. But look what happens when Jesus continues in this, verse 19. You unbelieving generation. Now, in case you're unsure about how Jesus speaks, that's not a compliment, okay? He's calling them out in this moment. Jesus says, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I, I, don't, I don't know what, what's happening. You know, sometimes scripture is like texting. You don't quite get the tone. But I, I think maybe Jesus kind of threw his hip out a little bit at this point and says, just bring him to me, right? You know, just stop it. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at his mouth. Jesus asked the father, how, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But, but if you can do anything, would you take pity on us? Would you help us? If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father explained, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Now, I, you know, I, I love Jesus in this passage. He is so patient. You, you, can, you, you probably assume that he sees the man's desperation on his face, right? You see the hopeful desire from this man. Please, can you help my son? And the man trying... Just one more time, hoping that, in fact, Jesus is. He says, if you could, and you almost, I, I, mean, I, I try not to be sacrilegious, but you know, I almost want to think that Jesus maybe said, how many times do I have to pull a rabbit out of my hat, people? Come on now. Did you not see last week's episode? You know, this can be handled, okay? We got this under control, right? But he looks at him and he says, well, all things are possible for those who believe. And then, then help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. We begin to see in that moment, though, we begin to see a, a scenario of situations begin to play out. We begin to see uh, Jesus begin to respond. We begin to see Jesus begin to, to take in control this very, very situation where what could be if then is now happening. Don't we approach that some ways in our own faith? Don't we come to the point where sometimes uh, we, we, we find ourselves in a scenario where we're up against a wall, things are struggling, we're not sure if we're going to make it next, and all of a sudden we, we want to say we believe in Jesus, but we're just kind of hoping if Jesus would show up? It's a big if, isn't it? What did Jesus mean by everything is possible for the one who believes? I mean, was Jesus saying, if I believe enough, I, I'll win the lottery, right? If I just believe enough, uh, Jesus is going to give me a spoken, smoking hot spouse, right? You know? Or, or if I believe enough, God will give the, the Illini a winning... Maybe I shouldn't go there. We, we, that may be too close, right? What's Jesus mean by this? Well, I think it's important to understand that when we're talking about faith and we're talking about God moving in our world, that there are a couple of ingredients that often play out in these miraculous moments. And the first set of ingredients kind of depend on God, God's heart and God's will. And of course, it's God's desire to help people. Of course, God's desire to meet this kid where it is. But the other ingredients are the conditions of our heart and our faith, our will. So Jesus does what, uh, what only he can do. And out of his own love and grace and mercy, he heals this boy that has been tormented. He calls out the spirit that's in him, this deaf 
and mute spirit. And he commands him to never come back again and to torment this son. Let's go to our second story, though. Mark chapter 10 shares a similar miracle. Mark chapter 10 says this. When they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting along the roadside, and he was begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, once again, we have Jesus on parade, and he's actually coming from this community, Jericho. Jericho is the city that we know of that was where Joshua took his army, marched around the city, and eventually the walls fell. We began to think about this background of a scenario where uh, a community where walls fall, they're on their way to celebrate what they would call Passover, which is literally the celebration of God's spirit moving over the people of Israel. When they were in captivity, when they were in slavery in Egypt, the angel of death moved along the country and they were encouraged to put the lamb's blood over the doorpost. And by taking the lamb's blood and putting over the doorpost, they would be marked in a way as being the children of God. And it's a great foreshadowing us for us to think about because it's the lamb's blood, God's lamb's blood that pays the price for us so that we are not held to the consequences of sin and death. They're in the backdrop of this moment they're in the backdrop of this celebration. And while Jesus is kind of on parade going through this community, there's a man who's been pushed to the side, off to the corner, out of the way, and he's begging where he normally begs, but he can hear, he can hear that it's Jesus. And you have to wonder, did he, did he hear the stories? Did he hear the testimonies? Did he hear the conversations? Has he been anticipating for this moment to actually get within arm's reach of Jesus to change his own scenario? And what happens is Jesus approaches, he begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of David. It's a declaration that he knows that Jesus comes from the lineage of David, that he is the coming Messiah. And, and the disciples who are trying to just keep this bus, this parade of Jesus moving, they go and they begin to hush him. They begin to push him further out. They begin to try and quiet him, right? But this man who feels helpless and hopeless, just raises his voice a little bit louder. Jesus, son of David, he begins to shout, and he begins to get to the point that it's so loud that Jesus decides to stop. Here's what it says in verse 49. So Jesus stopped, and he said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, get on your feet. He's calling you. Yeah, you just, you just silenced me. You just pushed me in the corner. Okay, whatever. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, which means teacher, I want to see. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. And immediately, immediately, he received sight. And he followed Jesus along the road. What is it about Jesus, people that kind of get going one direction that we forget to reach out to those who are in, help, in need of help. I mean, isn't that what's going on here? We've got Jesus on parade. They're, they've got a destination they're trying to get to. And somebody who's in desperate need, somebody who wants help, somebody who wants to get to Jesus is crying out. But instead of engaging him, instead of bringing him to Jesus, initially what they do is they hush him. 
They push him further to the side. And it just makes us wonder. Maybe it's just a moment for us to think about what is it about us, about, about God people, about Jesus people, about people at church that sometimes our lives just get so busy or so focused or we get, we get pressed into so many other things other than realizing that when people are hurting and a world is crying out, we're the ones to help get them to Jesus. That's the point, right? Not just to get for ourselves, but to help get everyone to Jesus. Well, they miss it. But thank goodness for someone who's hurting and hopeless and just won't be silent. And Jesus hears their cries and he invites them in. But let's bring these two stories together as we see this being played out, okay? Jesus says, go, uh, your faith has made you well. And immediately this, this man is given his sight. But when you look at the two stories, you begin to realize that Jesus asks, he asks for both the ailing people to be brought directly to him. Both are very clearly asking Jesus for whatever they want and whatever they need. Both are, are, are searching, they're calling for Jesus with a sense of expectation. Both, Jesus emphasizes their faith that exists prior to their healing. Both knew only that the power of Jesus could have the potential to save their lives. And both, both were first in a moment of utterly helplessness in the moment. So let me ask you, ask you this question. When it comes to your life, feeling helpless or hopeless, where do you turn? Where do you turn for your source of strength and hope? When you think about the father, the father couldn't, couldn't do anything to help his epileptic son. You think of the blind man, Bartimaeus, he was helpless and nobody was helping him. They were actually hushing him and pushing him out of the way. And let's not forget the disciples. The disciples were helpless because they couldn't even do the things that Jesus had empowered them to do. Their faith had not matured. They had not, they had not been obedient and lived out in a way of surrender before God to allow God to even work through and in their lives. So what about our world? Maybe you have a child that's in a medical condition. Maybe you've received a diagnosis that you're just... You're just not sure what's going to happen. Maybe your spiritual growth has gotten to the point where you've hit a wall and you've gotten in a rut. Maybe your marriage is somehow duct taped, bailing, wired, stapled, and even super glued together, but it's still falling apart. Maybe you've just made some, some rebellious decisions, and now the bills come due. Where do you turn when you feel helpless? I think many of us, sometimes when we look at our lives, it, wa it wavers back and forth. And if I can tell you anything, life is never, never easy. And life wavers so easily. One minute things are going great, the next minute things are falling apart. But if there's one thing we need to understand, it's that it's this, that the wavering of life calls us for an unwavering faith. That unwavering faith is in the power of Jesus. If you need an anchor, if you need something to secure to, if you need something to tie down to when life is throwing you back and forth, it is only in a relationship with Jesus. It is only by his power. It is only by our strength that we can begin to navigate once again the life that's before us. I mean, think about the father. The father's come in and he's tried everything that he can and even the disciples couldn't help him. And he, he could have gone before Jesus. Okay, Jesus, why don't you give it a shot? Everybody else has done something. Nothing else has seemed to work, but why not? Go ahead. But he doesn't. He doesn't become apathetic. He doesn't throw his hands in the air. He just leans in further. If you, if there's any way you could do, would you do something? 
And God does. Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus could have just been silenced. He could have just stayed in that corner. He could have just stayed away from, from Jesus. But no, he cries out, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. He presses in further and further as life tosses him back and forth. And even the disciples, in their failure and disobedience, could have just thrown in the towel. But even they continue to follow and trust I think many times we forget that the barrier to Jesus moving in our lives is sometimes our unbelief. It's sometimes maybe saying that we believe he can, but not trusting that he will. Knowing that he has the ability, but assuming that he wouldn't do it in our life. So let me just, let me just summarize this discussion, can I? Here's what I want you to know. Faith in Jesus is faith in Jesus, not faith if Jesus. When it comes to your faith, it is a faith that says it is in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not a, if Jesus could move, maybe he will. It's the difference between trying to have a, a prove it faith and having a proven faith. But what do we do in our lives? Many times we cry out, we get frustrated, we say, okay, God, you prove it, you fix it, you make it right, and then I'll be obedient, right? We get to that moment where, God, if you would just fix my finances, then I'll follow. God, God if you'll just heal my friend, then I'll follow. But faith is believing that God will move. Faith is mo believing that Jesus' plan is best, and faith is believing that even if Jesus doesn't move in the way that I want, Jesus is still God, and Jesus is still good. But we live, we live in this posture of Jesus move, then I'll believe. You know, if we were transparent, we'd have to admit, we really don't want God in our lives. We want a genie, right? We want to rub the lamp and fix it ourselves. And there's a big difference between a genie and Jesus. And it's only in our relationship with Jesus can we find, can we find the true life that we're anticipating, that we're longing for. You know, Jesus, Jesus moves when we surrender to his will. And Jesus moves oftentimes when we ask for his help. And Jesus moves oftentimes when our hearts are expectant and our minds are hopeful. And Jesus begins to move oftentimes when we're in a relentless pursuit for him and only him. And Jesus moves when we believe that Jesus can, Jesus will. And even if he doesn't, we will obey. It's a faith in Jesus, not a faith of Jesus. So which would describe you the most? Are you in search of the genie? Or are you in search of Jesus? Are you surrendering to a life that says, God, have your way in me? Or are you saying, God, if you would answer these three issues for me, then and maybe then, I'll follow you. Let's move to our time of response. I'd be lying to you if I didn't say that I can't wait for us to get to Easter. I, I mean, we can celebrate Jesus' resurrection every day and every weekend. 
But I'm excited about Easter because we have a chance to, uh, to invite people to a new series called Mastermind. Let me, let me take you where I'm going with this. You know the reason we want a genie rather than we want Jesus? <laughs> because you control the genie. And you can't control God. And for those of us that want to control the genie, can I, can I share kind of a strong word today? For those of us that want the genie, you need to know you already have God. The problem is that God is us. And we're limited. We find ourselves living in a world oftentimes that we the reason we struggle so much with anxiety, the reason we struggle so much with worry, the reason we struggle with, with hearing things around us or relationships around us through this vacuum, through this darkness, through this filter that is not of hope, that is not of God, that is not encouraging in any way is because somewhere in our lives, we convinced ourselves that we can fix everything. We can control everything. And we can't. I'm excited about this series, not just because we're putting yard signs in our yards or we're handing out these little invite cards, but I'm excited because part of Mastermind is part of what God kind of did in that eight-week break I took when I was gone for a while, you know. My kids call it the radical sabbatical. Took this time off and I was supposed to, you know, begin to look at the inside of what was going on in my heart and my mind. And I was just consumed with so many other things other than Jesus or other things than the best for my family or for my wife or for this church. I was, I was consumed with performance. I was consumed with trying to fix things. I was consumed with trying to be the guy that was just going to win the day. It showed up on Baptism Sunday. I, I love that Aaron says, oh, you want to be a part of Baptism Sunday? The last one was so great. Why? Well, I missed it. I was encouraged to stay home. It was the Sunday I thought I was going to come back, but after, after four weeks in discussion with the elders, they said, you know, things are really good here. If, if you want to take some more time, if you'd like to, if you'd just like to catch your breath a little more, why don't you take some time off? And so I said, oh, okay, let's do that. But can I come to church on baptism Sunday? They said, no, no, just, just keep, just keep resting. So we invited some friends over that day to hang out with us. Uh, if I was to confess on stage and I will, I kind of hope they would tell me a lot about Baptism Sunday. That's why I invited them over. But I'm making my guacamole, and I'm looking at my clock, and I'm realizing that at that point as I'm making guacamole, and if you're wondering, I do make good guacamole. I'm making it, and I'm realizing that this is the point that somebody's finishing the message. The music's about to get play. We're going to go into response time, and people are going to go off to the side, and they're going to go get changed. The lights are going to go to the middle. The baptistry is going to be there, and we're going to start celebrating people being baptized. And I began to cry. It just, it, just, it just hurt so much. I wasn't going to get to see people step forward in decisions of faith. I wasn't going to people that I had talked to, that I would counseled. I, I was missing out, and I was just like, God, how can this be? How can this be? And I, I just remember, and I, I don't get burning bushes. I don't get Moses, go let my people go. I don't get that kind of stuff from God, okay? But in that moment... It was almost like God just said, Danny, the church just needs a pastor, not a savior. And I cried. 
Because if I'm transparent, I struggle with pride and control. I struggle with wanting to be accepted, to find my glory and my strength in myself. And this church should only ever be about Jesus. Why? I can't save you. The elders can't save you. Jeff Sutton, he isn't going to save you. But Jesus can. And our goal and our job is just to point people to Jesus. That we would be candid and honest enough that in our failure and brokenness, as a people, we're a people who surrender to Jesus to become more like him because we can be the obstacle sometimes. We can be, we can be the problem. And if we would learn how to be people who are surrendered fully to Jesus, that our trust and our anchor would be in Jesus alone, that our life, the way that we think, act, and speak, that every relationship, every conversation, every moment in time would be centered on the reality that Jesus is real, his presence is in us, and his life is transformational, we might just see heaven on earth. The blind get sight. The mute begin to speak. Marriages begin to be restored. Communities begin to be put back together. So let me ask you today. Are you brave enough to believe in Jesus and let go of if Jesus? Would you be the people that live for God and not as moral people who just want the genie. In just a moment, we're going to move into a time of response. Some of you have probably grabbed your connection card and you're like, what decision do I need to make? What, what direction do I need to go? Some of you, you know that baptism is that surrendering. You, giving your life into Christ is in baptism is that portrait of that anchor, that it's in Jesus, not if Jesus. I believe with all of my heart that my salvation, that my faith, that everything that I know to be about God and to be good is from God, not by my works, not by my strengths. And baptism is part of that declaration. Some of us are just wrestling with, should, should I put a prayer request in today? Do I confess my addiction? Do I ask for questions? Someone to talk through some of the scenario? Do, do, I, do I bring up the journey of health that... I need support in. If you're new with first, what happens in the next few moments is the music will begin to play. We'll be invited to stand and to sing. And then you'll see people spontaneously move around this room. Some will go to these tables where there are candles lit. There are six around the room. There is bread and there is juice. And we're reminded that before Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he took the juice And he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. This is a new commitment, a new covenant that I give you. It was the declaration that his death, burial, and resurrection would be the payment for our sin and our death. 
that it would give us new life. And so as those of us who believe in that sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are all invited to come up to eat the bread, to drink the juice, put the cup in the container in the middle, but to commemorate and celebrate what God has already done for us. Some of us will move to these benches up front and we'll pause in prayer. Some will begin to ask God for strength. Some will begin to confess. Some will thank God for what they've done, but we'll pray. And then others of us will move to these boxes, the give and respond boxes. Maybe we'll put a connect card. Maybe we'll put our offering in. And some of us will grab our phone. We'll open up to our give app and we'll respond to, to help fund and fuel the mission of what God's doing in our church. But friends, may we today be confronted with the reality that we control nothing and God controls everything. We are more blessed than we can imagine and while we struggle and while we hurt, while we're broken and we fail, Jesus can use us. And Jesus can use us to the point that Jesus can reach this world and Jesus can transform you your friends, your family, and this world. So let's surrender and let's chase him with all that we've got.